This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 17th of November 2021 at home in Wicklow. And after expressing some initial concerns about global warming and then explaining why my daughter told me that she hated me this morning, I go into a discussion of creativity a discussion about creativity and I try to look at what factors I feel should be in place to be creative. Uh, I'm talking about that from a personal point of view and I talk about it in a general sense. Uh, I talk about creativity as an expression of love and an expression of wellness. That certainly fits with my scheme of uh, how I view creativity. I also have a look at the conflict when you like the art but hate the artist and the the challenge that that presents and how I believe we can adopt a position where there's still space to admire the art and to be critical of the artist. I also drop in some other perspectives on the creative process from different sources. So Philip Roth is in the mix there. I uh, discuss some of his work. I look at some quotes from Denis Villeneuve and how he views the work of Picasso and how it spoke to him. I discuss a different viewpoint of Picasso that harks back to the art versus artist debate that relates back to uh, the Australian comic uh, Hannah Gadsby and her perspective on that. I also look at a quote from Flaubert about the creative life and also look at something Fanny Bryce said, which I think connects well to my overall thesis. So there you go. That's what's going on. And I think I managed to only recommend one movie uh, right at the very end of the episode. So that's something to look forward to. Okay, I hope you enjoy it. I certainly had fun making it. I'll see you there. Cheers. Ooh, not gonna change my mind. Leaving the dream behind. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. How are you? That was another one of those emphatic highs to start the show. Hi, Dara Clear here, reporting from Wicklow. The grass is green, the trees have no leaves, and the cats are asleep. Over to you, Janelle. Uh, who's Janelle? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, how are you? How are you on this uh, on this November day? Um, I don't want to get hysterical about climate change and global warming but it's mid mid November sorry mid November and it's just not cold enough I'd like it to be a little bit colder please just to just to feel natural just to feel right now I can report that the sea temperature is tracking as normal um I was in earlier this morning and it's 13 degrees according to my sources and yeah so still 
actually very comfortable to swim in um, if you've been swimming semi-regularly, um, which I generally do, as you know. Um, so the sea is the sea is behaving itself. It's doing what it should be doing. Um, but the air temperature is it's just a it's just a smidge, a smidge too mild. And what does that what does that do to you when something in your world is off kilter? When something in your world is not quite right, your environment, the place that you recognize, the thing that is familiar and that does not require questioning. When a key element of that world is doing its own thing and doing something different, that becomes, in my opinion, a destabilizing element in your life. That becomes something that undermines your sense of rightness and your sense of trust in the world, in you know whatever that is for you, wherever wherever your world is. Um, so, you know, you can go, you can go for a dramatic example and imagine, you know, waking up in the morning and, you know, the, the sky is a disturbing shade of, of green and it remains that way all day. That would be cause for concern, n'est-ce pas? I think so. I think so. Um, but the temperature at the moment, uh, yeah. Just not quite right. Not quite cold enough. Now I heard I heard from a neighbour. Apparently there's a cold front coming our way in uh, in Ireland. So um that should reset the balance and I welcome it. I welcome it. Um yeah, so what can I tell you? I had a nice interview last week. I was interviewed, would you believe, on the uh, <laughs> on the back of the podcast. Um, a friend of mine had been on a podcast being interviewed. He's uh, a musician and composer and writer. That's uh, George Higgs. And through him, he gave me a little recommend to the guys who interviewed him. And they had me on their show last week. And they're getting a few episodes out of our interview. The first one went out last Friday. So I was talking to... Shane Mackey, and that's Shane, S-E-Fodder, I-N, uh, Mackey, and Chris Sneed, which is S-N-E-Y-D. And they have a lovely podcast called Can Projects Podcast, and that's C.A.N. And it's about creativity, art, nature, and wellness. And they're all about... Uh, sort of outreach advocacy of wellness and positivity and positive change and being proactive about the environment and talking about mental health and looking at what we get from art and the expression of art. Two lovely guys, um, both dubs, uh, Shane's from Ballyfermot, I think, and Chris from Clondalkin, uh, but now based in Wexford. So we had a great old chat last week and they were very um, complimentary about 
what they refer to as the work I'm doing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that that's nice, lads. Um, so referring to the the podcast, of course, and the blog, theclearout.com, and you know, just various other things I've been involved in over the years. Um, I did speak to them on that show about something I'm about to start. I'm about to do some work with um, Ballymun Regional Youth Resource. Uh, I'm about to start a really, really interesting, uh, kind of brilliant collaborative arts project with them. This is the brainchild of uh, three entities, um, Broken Talkers Theatre Company, uh, the artist Fiona Whelan, and uh, Rialto Youth Project and they came up with this project two or three years ago and it's called What Does He Need? And fundamentally it's about working with young men um, in, you know, wherever, in youth groups, various communities and trying to explore their ideas of masculinity their experience as young men in their part of Ireland and how they sort of challenge or uh, sorry channel or bring about those conclusions thoughts um, aspirations uh, is to create to create a boy so a boy of their making uh, who's from their area and that boy becomes the sort of that the the totem or the the proxy of their their experience and their aspirations and maybe their vision of where a boy from their community might end up in life and I'm really excited to to get involved with uh, with with Briar Ballymun Regional Youth Resource. I'm going to be working with a couple of brilliant youth workers there, uh, Ken and Kev, and I'm hoping that. That's going to start this week. Uh, so I'm going to be working with those guys for a couple of months and see if we can, with the, the guys under their care, um, create something cool and truthful. And yeah, it's um, really, really interesting stuff. And I'm, I'm very lucky. One of the Broken Talkers guys is an old friend. We worked together years ago. It's Phelan Cannon. And he reached out to me to see if I'd be interested in getting involved himself and his creative partner Gary Keegan have, have this brilliant theatre company Broken Talkers who over the last gosh it feels like it's about 20 years nearly um, have been just doing brilliantly kind of innovative socially conscious um, theatre that's really about giving kind of voice to the voiceless um, connecting with people who are sort of on the fringes of society are a bit disenfranchised um and they've just done really brilliant work over the years so it's a shout out to those guys and a thank you to Phelan for bringing me on board into this project so I'm really hoping that that gets the green light um just waiting for a bit of bureaucracy to be cleared so I can get running on that but I had an amazing induction day uh with a lot of different groups involved and different artists uh, a couple of weeks ago um in Rialto and it was like a, a day-long uh, event of discussing the whole process, previous experiences, people who are in the middle of it at the moment, and a couple of groups 
um, like the one I'm about to get involved in who are just about to start and it was a great sort of sharing of creative energy and sort of social action uh, you know being proactive communicative um, people being very honest and kind of sincere and committed and collaborative um, and you know everyone sort of acknowledging the, the you know the value of the artistic element of it um, so something yeah something really good so once again that's called uh, what does he need so yeah just you know do a do a search keep your eye out on social media there is stuff out there already from earlier projects and um, some great artwork um, by Fiona Whelan and overall something that I'm super excited to be getting involved in so as I said that was something that came up in the interview last week with the lads on the Can Projects podcast Again, just do a search for them. You'll find them out there uh, on the, the World Wide Web. Um, but they do prefer, if you go and look for them on Spreaker.com. That's uh, Speaker with an R after the P. S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Spreaker.com. That's their preferred platform. So you can find their stuff there and follow, subscribe, comment, etc. I might throw that interview in the description of this week's episode if you want to check it out. Uh, so there you go. Boom. That's what's been that's what's been happening. That's what's been happening. That's what's been going on. I had a nice little moment with my daughter this morning. A moment of honesty, a moment of connection, a moment that brought us close through the through the sort of free open expression of uncensored emotion and my daughter told me that she hated me (laughs) oh dear yeah nice um (laughs) it's yeah it's quite it's quite an experience uh she (laughs) i was on her case she's been out of school for the last couple of days she had uh, a sore neck now, that makes it sound like, ah, oh, you know, you had a sore neck, whatever. But no, she, she woke up on Monday morning. She was really in unprecedented bad form on a school morning, just going, I don't want to go to school and getting quite upset. And we asked all the, you know, the usual questions. Um, you know, is anybody fighting with you? Is anyone being mean to you? And I was satisfied that that wasn't the case. She just couldn't quite articulate what was bothering her. But then ultimately, this is, I, I, I thought this was brilliant. Ultimately, she turned to me and she said, I think I know what it is. I'm just bored. Uh, I'm bored with just, you know, the same people and doing the same stuff. And, you know, I just, there was part of me, you know, throughout this, you know, the the battle on Monday morning trying to convince her to go to school. uh, There was a part of me that was just defaulting to sort of old school parenting instincts. Like, I'm failing as a parent if I don't kick her up the arse and send her out the door to school. You know, just go on, go to school, stop, stop your nonsense. Um, but uh, she was genuinely upset. And I take that very seriously, of course, as does my wife. And I just thought when we finally, when she finally expressed that, which I suppose what you could interpret it, interpret it as a type of, you know, ennui or jadedness or 
like I think I view it as a as a very sort of it's a, the meeting place of sort of emotion and perception and philosophy and existentialism and that whole sort of oh man is is this it like is is this does this just keep rolling round again and again and again and she was clearly in the headspace where that was suddenly massively confronting so I decided to chalk it off as a mental health day I thought. We talk about mental health a lot and certainly I'm guilty of almost always thinking of it only in terms of adults and that I realised in that moment is incredibly limiting and then, and then I reminded myself well of course kids are massively susceptible to mental health uh, issues and massively susceptible to anxiety and fear and stress and that can start really young and certainly the last couple of years now almost two years of the pandemic that certainly hasn't helped anyone and all the different changing scenarios and regulations and restrictions in schools and protocols and you know and Irish primary schools are under ferocious pressure having to sort of you know internally manage covid cases and make decisions and comply with directives from the government and the department of education and prevent sort of panic um keep it discreet but you know do all the you know the right things um really 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 difficult and some classes you know my my daughter had this experience um at the start of this term where she had to come home for a week because there'd been she was considered a close contact of someone with a covid case and you know it's really disruptive and it's crap for the kids and it's crap for the teachers and crap for the poor principals who have to make those calls and and manage their crew um so i mean well done is all i can say to them pushing through still trying to do the best they can um and deliver you know quality education and deliver a great experience in a good environment for all these kids around the country um i just think yeah like you know teaching is it's tough enough it's a tough enough gig without the, you know the massive disruption of something like the pandemic scenario uh you know disruption is it's it's the death of 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 the good experience it's the death of the flow of energy and it's it's you know it, it's it's a killer for creativity and spontaneity and the exchange so that's I think that's that's how I sort of conceive of teaching and that's how I operated as a teacher and have operated as a teacher over the years you I certainly have always tried very hard to create the right environment for a positive experience to take place in the classroom and it's not necessarily about learning first and foremost but it is about building a rapport it's about building trust. It's about empowering the people in front of you, regardless of their age, and encouraging trust and openness and a certain uh, level of fearlessness within that environment. And if you can create those conditions, then a lot of good things can happen. And that's how I feel about it. And learning is secondary it's kind of a a byproduct of that good environment where so many other good things can happen and be enriching and empowering for the the students in your 
in your care, I suppose. So there's a pastoral element to that as well. So anyway, my daughter this morning, <laughs> the decision had been made. She was feeling, oh yeah, I didn't get to tell you. So she, she later that day on Monday, the she started to have a sore neck and she started to get a bit of a temperature and then she got a bit sleepy and I was going, oh man, is this, uh, I was beginning to worry like it was sort of indicative of perhaps meningitis or something like that. And you know, I gave her some medicine to bring her temperature down and she had a little snooze and like she was, you know, she was just a little bit sort of the energy kind of withdrew. She was, you know, verging on kind of listless, listlessness. Um, but then she kind of perked up and that was fine. My wife came home, probably felt a lot more alarmed and concerned about it than I did, which that would be, you know, that would be a pattern. I don't know if that's true for all um, partnerships. Um, I tend to be a bit like, ah, you know, she'll be fine, low key. Um, but anyway, whatever, that's a digression. The neck was a bit better yesterday, but not much. So kept her home again. And then this morning, yeah, she was definitely a lot better and a bit of mobility back in the neck, no temperature, none of that. So I'm trying to get her ready for school. My one of my brothers had dropped over the other day and brought uh, brought my daughter a belated birthday present, a great Lego set, and she'd made that. And she's really into Lego at the moment, so that's a lot of fun. And this morning she went over to kind of play with Lego, <laughs> and I just snapped at her and said, "No, you don't stop. <laughs> if you touch that Lego again, I'm chucking it. You got to get ready for school. You've got loads of things to do before you have to go to school." And I was probably a little bit too reactive and sharp and I could have approached that better and expressed my request in nicer terms. But I was barky and shouty and snotty and I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I let myself get triggered by her just kind of drifting through the morning. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We've got X, Y, Z, Z uh, to still to do. Come on. Um, and she got very upset with me, angry, not not tears, and muttered something. And I was like, excuse me, what was that? And I wasn't being all confrontational. Uh, I was just like, sorry, what was that? I said, I hate you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> don't hate me. I'm sorry, I was cranky. Come on, let's get organized for school. But she, you know, she, she, um, she stayed in character for the rest of the morning until I, I walked her down to the bus. Um and I was walking her out to the bus. I was saying, do you still hate your daddy? And she went, yep. <laughs> but there you go. I had to kind of have a little think about that one and go, you know what? I've often spoken to her about the um, the right way to speak to people. Um, and, you know, the sort of the best way to, to ask for things or to express that you're unhappy with something. And then, of course, I didn't follow my own advice at all made her feel crap um i definitely overreacted and the response i got was uh, fully warranted i would say in that moment um now don't be don't listen don't you i'm sure you're all going i'm sure you're not worried about me at all i'm sure you're going jesus christ that poor girl um uh, but no she's fine i was fine it was all good but there you go that's what happened this morning mere hours ago anyway today 
what I want to talk about is creativity. Creativity and the creative process and art versus the artist. And also a, a theory or philosophy of creativity that is presenting creativity as an expression of if not love then of wellness and I return to this idea from uh, the start of the episode where I was referring to the the temperature being a little bit too warm and not quite right and how that then becomes a you know, a, a distracting, anxiety-inducing element in your perception and in your experience. And you register that wrong note emotionally and psychologically, and it, it registers in your being. And what it does is it actually starts, it starts pulling your energy to that space because it's a sort of a, a watchfulness or a a monitoring of what exactly is going on here. I can't give my full attention where I'd like to give it. I need to be vigilant over here just in case this is the beginning of something very serious. And that then also ties in with what I was just saying a few moments ago about teaching and the difficulty that... Now, I focus on primary school teachers. Of course, secondary school teachers have been facing the same stuff as well. Um, the difficulty of trying to do that job, that challenging job of being an effective, motivated, positive teacher uh, when you've got constant disruptions and absences and new protocols and now we're teaching from home, now we're teaching online, now we're doing Zoom, all of that sort of stuff um, breaks the flow. And I'm going to argue then that in the world of creativity, that those negative elements, and of course they can be any one of a million things that's up for you to determine what you consider a negative element in your life um you know the negative element could be relationship conflict the negative element could be you know financial um disadvantage uh, the negative element could be the necessity to do other things that pull you away from your creative process. The negative element could be absolutely internal. It could be just self-doubt. Um, it could be any number of self-directed um, missiles and, you know, looking at oneself in a prism that is unhelpful, that is not permitting the full expression of self. And I think this is really where the, the, the germ of this idea of thinking about creativity came from. Um, because if it comes down to it, if we're thinking, let's, let's just keep it in very narrow 
in a very in very narrow terms for a moment and let's just assume we're talking about artists and the artistic process and what artists do and artists can be any form of uh you know performer or art maker so whether you're you know a dancer or a musician an actor a sculptor you know whatever doesn't matter a writer it doesn't matter like that let's just that's art and the the argument i think is that if okay for me personally if i describe what i do as expressions of creativity i'm also going to argue that they are expressions of self for me the the artist is someone who experiences the world a certain way the artist is someone who perceives the world a certain way the artist is also someone who has a need to represent that experience to capture that experience to communicate that experience and that how they do that is their chosen medium and they are going to draw on i believe massive internal stuff as well like who they are as people what their relationship is with themselves because all of that dictates how they view the world how they view society class structure politics how they view art itself how they view their own medium how they view their relationships how they view love how they view death how they view parenthood how they view any number of aspects of the human experience so art then we agree i think we i'm sure i'm I'm assuming you're going to agree art is massively subjective and because we accept that art is subjective that's actually a very empowering thing to extend to the artist we accept that oh well this is the artist's point of view and it's their gift to have found a way to communicate this um and what i think is that the best work comes from having the fullest license to express oneself now my own wiring my own chemistry my own psyche i can only express myself when i'm well uh now that said i can uh, you know what i found over the years if i'm negotiating like a negative period in my life if i and you know and again if i'm having a bout of depression uh or anxiety or whatever and trying to negotiate a conflict in my life or a crisis in my life that is particularly challenging i have found more and more over the years that if i can kind of get out of my own way and like there's two things two things one try not to judge it try not to judge the inner turmoil too viciously try to accept that it is a justified reaction now not justified in terms of right and wrong or you know apportioning blame elsewhere um but to to view it and accept it as 
it's a real response. It's a real response responding to something, you know, external that triggered something or provoked something or touched a particular spot internally, um, whether that's, you know, psychological, emotional, that you can look at that and go, okay, this is real. This is actually telling me something about myself and therefore becomes a learning opportunity. Now, I know that that may sound a bit naff. Um, I really like it when I'm in pain because it actually helps me to learn more about myself and to, to you know, to, to, to understand and accept that I'm, I'm vulnerable and that my legs can break um my nose can can hurt and and my my heart and my feelings can hurt too i shouldn't i mean i'm terrible i'm terrible i shouldn't try to i shouldn't parody this but (laughs) i don't know anyway this i'm not trying to deflect i do genuinely think that if i can get out of my own way view why i'm upset dispassionately and enter into uh a frame of care and kindness to myself that I can kind of actually engage a calmness that prevents the spiral. It prevents that emotional spiral. The upward spiral goes towards anxiety. The downward spiral goes towards depression. And neither of them are pleasant. Um, But if you can just kind of, I, I try to sort of remain, you know, in it and to stay calm and to sort of try and get a bit analytical and go, ah, okay, that's why that upset me. And that's really useful. It's really useful to go to that place and engage with, ah, okay, so that's why it upset me. That And then explore how to, to deal with that and to engage with, engage with the real sort of, engage with an honest discussion with myself to go, okay, what's that coming from? you know should i could i be dealing with that better could i have that in a more resilient place uh what do i need to do to communicate that to the other person involved um and what are what are my real what are real really realistic expectations from that exchange or from that sharing of of a wound or that sharing of history what do i hope to gain um you know what do i hope to gain from from myself for myself which um for me it's usually well to look at it to name it to own it gives me more power over it and helps me be less susceptible to a triggering event in the future uh with the other person it's an attempt to improve the relationship i suppose and you know to to, to decrease the chances of something like that happening again. Now, how does all of that connect to creativity? So, as I said, in my frame, how I view being creative, I feel I can access better resources in myself for creative work, whether that's writing, whether that's doing the podcast, whether that's working with other artists, whether it's, you know, poetry, whether it's acting. If I'm well, wellness feeds into my confidence and confidence allows me to be unafraid of being vulnerable and open 
And that means I'm unafraid to take risks. And that, I believe, is where a better creative experience happens. And that's where I feel better a better expression of art happens. So there's that. That's I know that's what works for me. That's where I feel most comfortable. Uh, I like to feel safe. And if I feel safe, then I can take risks. So now, on the back of that theory, I'm going to hit you with a couple of quotes. So I have a couple of quotes relating to the creative process. Uh, Just knock the microphone, sorry. So here's one from Gustave Flaubert, the author of Madame Bovary. And this was something he wrote in a letter to a friend uh, about the creative process. And he said... Be regular in your life and ordinary as a bourgeois so that you may be violent and original in your work. I'm going to read you that again. Be regular in your life and ordinary as a bourgeois. Now, I don't know if he's saying, if he's rolling that all into one, be regular in your life and ordinary as a bourgeois. You know, or be as ordinary as a bourgeois. So I think he's trying to say, you know, be absolutely straight down the line, middle class, respectable, <laughs> a respectable member of society, someone who's not attracting undue attention um, so that you may be violent and original in your work. I, I, I love that. I love that idea of, you know, the word violent maybe connotes different things, but to me, it it speaks to a sort of a, a ferocity like a ferociousness of attack in being fearless in how you engage with your art or your you know whatever your creativity is um we're so conditioned to self-censor we're so conditioned to hold back we're so conditioned to enter into this you know sick comparison game of i'm never going to be good enough i'm never going to be as good as and then you do your list of, I won't be as good as him, I won't be as good as them, I won't be as good as her, I'll never make it to that level, I'll never reach that level of success. All of that is just static, it's white noise. And really the only thing you can control, invest in and immerse yourself in is your commitment to what you're producing, your commitment to that expression of what's inside you, your, you know, your, the expression of whatever your vision is. And that's where the reward will come. The reward will come from the doing of it. Um, that in itself, the process, the catharsis of that process is going to be beneficial. And then where it leads to, you don't know. It might lead to better work. It might lead to other opportunities. And, you know, and then that depends. Like it depends what your goal is. It depends what your ambition is. You know, some artists, they don't view it this way. You know, there is a calling, there is a compulsion, but some artists are maybe more conventionally ambitious and they look at the, the, their world, you know, the, you know, the world that is connected to their art form and they go, how do I climb this ladder? How do I rise to the top? Um, that can be a huge part of the business, I guess. Um but some people, it's just the art. 
and if the art is good enough it speaks for itself um and i tend to look at it that way and so if i look at my <laughs> my categorically mediocre acting career i just go look my art <laughs> as an actor simply wasn't good enough it wasn't sexy enough it wasn't cool enough it was whatever it was a bit meh a bit mundane a bit like yeah okay whatever um you know whatever my own ambition didn't make me fight harder for better work my own talent didn't maybe offer me the opportunities to 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 you know to 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 seize the nettle um and i i, I look at that very philosophically and go yeah it is what it is um uh, that said the, the the last bit of acting work i did uh is about five years ago uh, in, a, in a play i did in sydney and i actually think that was the best work i've ever done <laughs> to that point um and so i go yeah well that that that's a win that was a win for me and i was i was very proud of the work i did in that play um but yeah so that that flaubert quote apparently um apparently philip roth swore by that philip roth the great the great late the late great philip roth the jewish american writer the the monster of the great American novel of the the 20th century and into the 21st century as well. Um, His work was a revelation to me when I first started engaging with it. And there is a ferocity to his prose and his stories. There is a fearlessness and a a muscularity, um, almost a macho element to his writing. Um... Uh, yeah yeah it's it's just a permanent flex but as he went on i found like the later novels towards the end of his life they all sort of revolved around the same sort of theme of an aging man um obsessed with you know having sex with beautiful women you know mortified at his failing body and railing against the dying of the light um, which, which I guess in a way they were all proxy versions of Roth himself um, and that then comes back to creativity as an expression of self I mean I, I'm just going to quickly I'm going to read you a little bit of a spiel from the the back of one of um, Roth's great novels which oh, when did he write it Sabbath's Theatre um, I'm just going to open it to get the uh, the first published date. Um, dim, dim, dim. First published, 1995. Okay, fine. So, Sabbath's Theatre. And here's the spiel on the back. Once a, scandal- <laughs> sorry, once a scandalously inventive puppeteer, Mickey Sabbath, at 64, is still defiantly antagonistic and here, here's the kicker, here's the great one, and exceedingly libidinous. <laughs> but after the death of his longtime mistress, Sabbath embarks on a turbulent journey into his past. Besieged by the ghosts of those who loved and hated him most, he continues a succession of farcical disasters that takes him to the brink of madness and extinction. Sabbath, Mickey Sabbath is an extraordinary character a perverted twisted puppeteer um 
who oh, I mean there are set pieces in that novel that will have you crying with laughter or turning away from the page in horror um but absolutely brilliant but you know there you go like 1995 I reckon he was already doing that version of himself exceedingly libidinous um <laughs> unashamedly priapic there you go Philip Roth and his version of constantly rolling through versions of himself unashamedly so um let me give you another one okay another one here from Denis Villeneuve okay so Denis Villeneuve I spoke about him a few episodes ago when I was using uh, Blade Runner 2049 his sequel to Ridley Scott's Blade Runner from 1982 um as a sort of a, a launch pad for a discussion of AI and unloved children and where technology is taking us and what it means to be human, identity, all of that stuff. Um, Denis Villeneuve has also just released his version of Dune. And I read a great interview uh, with him a couple of weeks ago um, so Helen O'Hara, I think it's a Northern Irish writer, journalist who writes for Empire magazine. Um, I think I've got that right. But she was interviewing him and it was a really lovely interview. And he was very, seemed like a very sort of um, candid, open um, interviewee and spoke about his childhood and his grandmother's. He's French Canadian. Um, but at one point, he referred to a documentary about Pablo Picasso as being particularly inspirational for him. And that was a documentary directed by Henri-Georges Clouseau in 1956. And it was called Le Mystère Picasso. The translation of which I'm not sure, like the mysterious Picasso or yeah, maybe, or the, the mystery of Picasso, but there's no de, I don't know. Anyway, he said that, documentary hit him like a bomb in my soul and basically it was a depiction of Picasso who was in his mid-70s uh, and all he saw was his brush painting on a screen and he kept doing you know working on what he was working on but then erasing it wiping it out and starting it again like destroying what he had created and going back and he must have done it about 20 times and to Villeneuve what it depicted was the the reality that creativity is an and this is I'm quoting now creativity is an act of vulnerability where your path to success is narrow and you have to let yourself experiment so I like that quote and I like that idea of creativity as the act of vulnerability which I I, I tried to kind of explain or describe in how I conceive creativity earlier. Now, I was interested in that quote, not just for his response to Picasso, but also as a sort of a counterpoint and a reminder of how we can you know, perceive an artist and respond to an artist in spite of other aspects of their lives being troubling or confronting or concerning. And I... I, I recalled, and I spoke about this recently, didn't I? I feel I re re spoke about this recently, or maybe I didn't. But a few years ago, the Australian comedian, 
Hannah Gadsby, uh, who had studied art history in college. I think that was her thing. She did what I consider still an extraordinary, um, you know, Netflix show. It was it was a a show of one of her live acts called Nanette, and I think it was taken from the Sydney Opera House. And I had seen Gadsby on Australian TV several times, and she did have a show talking about art and artists, and sort of you know brought her sort of comic viewpoint to it. Um, but and, and and I'd never found her funny. I never found her that funny or that interesting. I was like, okay, grand. But then there was a bit of you know there was obviously a bit of um, a bit. There was you know a huge reaction to Nanette, this comedy special she did for Netflix a few years ago, and I sat down to watch it, and I basically had my mind blown by what she was doing with her art, which. And I ended up writing a, uh, you know, a blog piece uh, about it on, on my website. And really, in that, in the piece that I wrote, I was sort of responding to Nanette and talking about the power of telling your story and the power of speaking your truth. And really what struck me about what she did in Nanette was how she used the theatrical space, the artistic space to, to sort of flip the script on people's expectations. And what started off as this kind of gently comic um, autobiographical uh, exploration of her life sharing her sort of comic musings you know being very honest about her her sexuality she's gay um it became something really confronting and chilling actually at one point where she revisited a moment in the set which had involved a bit of homophobia and how she sort of laughed off this sort of misogynistic bloke you know out on the street one night and she you know she got a punchline out of it and you watch it and you laugh and you know she sort of ridiculed you know his narrow viewpoint and his misogyny and left the audience and i you know i'm 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 the proxy audience watching the show on tv left the audience in a very comfortable place and she kept going and was exploring then you know the how women are treated and excuse me, the kind of the, the othering of, I suppose like, you know, she's kind of doing, you know, the othering of women, but then also the othering of, uh, of gay people, of, of homosexuality. And then that conflict that arises in, I don't have permission. I don't have permission to be myself. And what that does to a person, you know, where you feel I'm going to be rejected. Uh, I'm going to be expelled from conventional society. I don't belong I'm not allowed to be myself. I'm not allowed to be who I am. Now, I would argue that maybe many of us have experienced elements of that on different levels. Uh, you know, when we're feeling particularly sensitive, we might perceive that to be a reality of life. Um, but of course, objectively, some people find themselves in the firing line much more obviously and much more explicitly than others. And certainly that's been true for anyone who's been gay um it's certainly been true for you know people practicing particular religious faiths it's been certainly been true for people of color uh in different parts of the world um 
and you know i'm not going to go on you know go on a history lesson of sort of you know racism and racial vilification or a history of um you know how religion uh shamed same sex attraction same sex expression how it demonized homosexuality um how that became something that was weaponized in sort of moral mantra i mean horrible horrible stuff that, that's not where I want to go. The, the thing that was interesting to, to, to return to um, to return to Nanette and Hannah Gadsby was how she, had, you know, had the audience in that what has become a very conventionally safe space: theatre, a night out at the theatre, a night at the opera house. You know, it's become a very moneyed privileged experience put on your nice clothes pay for the ticket maybe go for a meal go and see whoever some big name in a big show and it's become quite rarefied and what i found and you know you may or may not agree with me but if you watch that go and find it on netflix or find it wherever you can she made it a dangerous space because she she as i said earlier she flipped the script and turned that convention around where people are oh i'm here i'm here for a night of laughter but she brought it to a place of extraordinary i believe in my perception extraordinary vulnerability and openness and she circled back to that story of the homophobe idiot guy and revealed close to the end and you know okay spoiler alert and i'm sorry to ruin this for you but revealed how it didn't end with a punchline. It ended up with her getting the absolute shit kicked out of her, getting beaten up, badly beaten up, physically kicked and punched by this man. And it was, you know, as an audience member, it's a gut punch because she's taken you on this journey and left you in kind of a, a safe place, introduced, okay, she's bringing in some kind of, you know, cultural criticism and, um, you know, bringing in a, a very critical eye to artists uh, and how they behave and how they treat women, um, and and that was you know the reason I mention it now is because Picasso is someone that she mentions in that show, and how Picasso just used women, um, and you know I I wrote about this in the blog piece and spoke about how this idea um, of you know women only being valued for their sexual utility is something that I've always found I'm not trying to be pious here or precious but it's something I've always found repellent and offensive um and that you know it's not it's not a denial of my own uh sexual interest uh, or attraction to women or my my ability to be stimulated or to respond to female beauty um and and you know and on a purely physical level i mean i own that i'm very comfortable with it but i think and i mean i had this discussion like you know i admire picasso's work i admire picasso as an artist um and i you know i kind of go okay so what happens you know do you do i you know do you get into this place where you're condemning condemning the artist condemning the person for behavior that you find repellent for behavior that you find offensive i i think i i don't think there's real value in that 
and the art stands alone. Now, if Picasso was creating art that depicted women in um, an objectified way, in a demeaned way, then you can look at the art and go, I don't find that art interesting. I find it, you know, I don't find it attractive. It doesn't stimulate me. That wasn't the case. And so when the art stands on its own, I think you've got to look at the art and go, I love that work. Um, And be honest about that. And then you can also go, you know, it's a pity he was such a misogynist because I don't value that. Now, I don't find that a complicated equation. I don't find that a complicated combination of facts. Um, And I suppose, I mean, I I have, I've been in this territory before. I mean, I'm not going to go there now. I'm not going to go into the the Woody Allen thing. Uh, Many of whose movies I still find hilarious. Um, But whatever, I think you get the point. But there's, there's that side of creativity. And then you've got to ask yourself, if we go into if we, if we if we refer back to Picasso and then the use of women using women as muses, using women to satisfy his sexual urges, or using women to satisfy his ego, to to just enjoy being desired and admired, um, to allow that to be just part of his world and not recognizing it as an element. Uh, with which there was something wrong and it's not for me to go oh Picasso should have had my moral values I mean that's that's an offensive idea that you would presume anyone to have your moral values I mean it's 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 absurd and arrogant in the extreme you got to work that out for yourself what you consider moral I mean we're given guidelines uh, they come in the shape of laws and you know government policies and you know, scripture and, you know, whatever, teachers, parents. I mean, everyone has a crack at laying out the moral universe for you. But ultimately, it's meaningless. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it can be presented and it can be of interest. But ultimately, you have your own moral compass. It comes from somewhere. And it comes from those things. It comes from the external. But I think it's there's something in us that works it out. It's what feels right. It's what feels, it's what feels wrong. Now, what determines that, I suppose, is up to nurture. It's up to environment. And it may be up to how your brain is wired. And it may be up to how you view people, how you view yourself. And what you're willing to do to people to get what you want. And that feeds into then personal ambition. And that feeds into personal pathology. And that feeds into what value you place on connection with other people relationships community and all of that now for me those elements other people relationships community connection those i view those as positive aspects of my life and when they're in a good place i feel good and i feel well and the energy i take from those things feeds my own sense of possibility and it feeds my own courage to express myself and to take risks and to put myself out there in the world and this podcast is an expression of that um and when those elements are not in place like if i'm having a bad 
you know, a bad period in my relationship, if I'm in a bad period in my marriage, I'm absolutely challenged by that. I've, that's a hugely important aspect of my wellness that my wife and I are, are good together and it feeds my, my strength, it feeds my positivity and it feeds my, my love, my love, my appetite for life, my love for my wife, my love for my daughter, my care for myself. If that's not in a good place, it's really, really challenging for me to, to proceed with a sense of ease and a sense of wellness. And that's true for a lot of other relationships in my life as well. Um, but I draw huge strength from my interpersonal world. That's probably where I take most strength from in life because those relationships are mirrors um, that show me how I am. And they are all forms of validation and regard and they all have within them enormous capacity for growth enormous capacity to be challenged enormous capacity for honesty and those are all really good things in 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 my opinion um and so further to that then i come back then to this theory that creativity ultimately is an expression of love and an expression of wellness and an expression of, of, of power, I suppose. Um, and not power in like a, a dominating, like a alpha sense, but an expression of being empowered to release oneself and to release the ego, to release the id, to, to channel that into everything that you're doing in life. And I'm going to hit you with another quote now. This one's really good. Fanny Bryce, of all people. So Fanny Bryce, dancer, singer, comedian, uh, famously uh, brought, to, brought to life on the, the silver screen um, by Barbara Streisand in 1968's um, Funny Girl, directed by William Wyler. Uh, Streisand in that movie just sort of unstoppable irrepressible force almost like i i always find a streisand and i've spoken about her before in in reference to a star is born she's almost just too much <laughs> she's too much for the screen she's too much for everyone um but i guess in funny girl it kind of it, it, it kind of fit it kind of works um but anyway she was playing fanny bryce in that movie and I just came across a quote of hers the other day. This is really, really excellent, I think. She said, let the world know you as you are, not as you think you should be. Because sooner or later, if you are posing, you will forget the pose. And then where are you? I thought that's brilliant. And again, for me, and this comes back to the... The, 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 the subtitle of the clearout.com which is decluttering clarifying connecting and that idea of and, and it, you know arguably it's the most vulnerable position of all but the idea of just being yourself that is that is uh, a hugely vulnerable state to be in to go 
I am who I am and I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. And then to go out in the world like that, it's, that can be terrifying. That can be terrifying to step out into life and go, this is who I am and, you know, have at it. (laughs) Take me, leave me, hate me, love me, whatever. It is what it is. I'm not going to change. That's, that is vulnerability, but it's also, you can hear it, I'm sure. It's also enormous sort of strength to just I don't know. It doesn't mean that you don't care, of course, because I mean we can all be affected. We can all be, we can all be reached. This is listen. And there you go. I'm going to hit you with a truism <laughs> from the world of martial art, arts. This idea of you know the black belt, the black belt, the, you know the the the, the mystical, um, you know deified kind of black belt status, the mystique, the enigma. You can, you know, you're you're invulnerable. It's nonsense. It's a lot. It's that's. It's just um, to use one of my favorite expressions uh, and forgive the language. It's a crock of shit. Anyone can be hit. Anyone can be got. And on that, I'm going to have a shout back to a movie I referred to last week, The Untouchables. There's that, and I'm going to use the word chilling again here. Chilling, sickening. That scene in The Untouchables. And the Untouchables refers to the Elliot Ness hit squad who take on the mafia in uncompromising terms and sort of step outside the law to go, there's only one way to deal with this. Spurred on by Sean Connery's Irish cop going, this is how you do it. Uh, But, you know, latish in the movie, the mafia strikes back and they get the sort of beloved Charles Martin Smith uh, of American graffiti fame. And they catch him in an elevator and blow him away with a shotgun or I can't remember if it was a shotgun or a, uh, you know, a, a Tommy gun. Um, but written in his blood on the back wall of the elevator is the word touchable. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's a really, it's a, it's, a, it's a grim moment in the movie. One of your, you know, one of the favorite dudes gets got. Um, but this is the thing. It doesn't matter. You know, you can be as strong as you like. We're all touchable. (laughs) We're all gettable. Anyone can get hit. And I don't know if that's more scary. It is. Here's because here's the here's the here's the idea. If you step out into the world with the front up, that's your armor. When you when you adopt a persona, a persona is an armor. It's what you've decided best serves you. It's what you decide. It's what you've decided best protects you. And so when you drop the armor and you just are, then you feel, well, if I get hit now, it's really going to bloody hurt. But that's the role of the dice. Because I argue, my argument is the more you're yourself, the more sort of, I don't know where, I'm, I, don't know where I want to go with that thought, but it's like, I don't know. It's, it, let's see, to, to be yourself, it's a form of honesty. It's living in an honest way and I suppose it's being authentic and that authenticity I think generally prompts a very respectful response from people whether they it's, it's not about being liked it's not about being admired loved whatever but 
respect is is powerful in its own way it's like then people go okay well you know you are who you are let i'll let you be sort of thing and that to me then is where i come back then to the to the the creativity theory of you're freed up you're not distracted by the 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 clutter of trying to remember who you are or trying to be someone else you're just getting on with it um and that to me i think is an enormously positive thing I remember a friend of mine, uh, an actor, said to me years ago, going back about 20 years, and we were out one New Year's Eve. It might have been that pre-year uh, 2K New Year's Eve where everyone was terrified the world was going to end and all the computers were going to die and whatever. Uh, c- catastrophic uh, consequences were foreseen. But I remember this actor turning to me and kind of going, you know, you're not in love unless you're in pain. And I was like, give me a break no way i reject that (laughs) no thanks i don't want to be in pain that's uh i want to be well i want to feel good i want to feel safe and strong and happy and functional and that's when i can be my best that's when i can create my best and i can love my best and that's uh that's where i want to live in that space and you can create you can keep your pain and you can create you know you can keep the the idea of you know love as torment um that kind of masochistic weirdness around the anguished lover this is what it really is i'm like i hate that i don't you know i've been in that state i know what it feels like i don't like it it doesn't feel good i just want to uh (laughs) i want to swim in the lake of love and enjoy it and feel enormously well and the the tortured artist i don't know i mean it's 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 you know it's not about being sort of bland and beige and uninteresting but i think you can kind of come to peace and then release a part of yourself that can fully inform and express all else and can express your darkness and can express your madness and can express a tormented part of yourself because otherwise i don't know like otherwise everything else is a performance and who's it for and what are you trying to live up to and what's your conception of art but again it's not for me to say like you know if that's what you know if that's what it is for other people you know you know on you go but like, are you creating good art as well? Like within that, or is all your artistic energy going into what you're doing in public life and what you're doing in your relationships? Um, I don't know. That's a that's a question for you. Um, and here, here's one more. I'm going to finish with this. This is from John Banville from a few years ago, and it caused a bit of a stir. John Banville, the Irish novelist, writer, he came out he was interviewed and reflecting on his artistic life and this was the quote that everyone snatched from the interview where he said i have not been a good father no writer is you take so much and suck up so much of the oxygen that it's very hard on one's family um and i remember i mean i got that i saw that a few years ago i was like okay you know is that true what does this say about banville massively successful critically lauded author um 
is that the sacrifice? I mean, that, then that's the question. Like, what does it cost to be creative? What does it cost to create art? I mean, that's for that's for every artist to decide for themselves. And I mean, I haven't even I haven't even gone into this other area where I also believe that it's not just about bloody art. I mean, any area of your life can be creative. Like wherever you're making something happen, you know, your relationship is an act of creativity. How you live your life in your home, what your home represents, that's an act of creativity. Your relationship with your children, with your husband, with your partner, with your wife, they're all acts of creativity because you're making something together. You're giving life to life. And again, it's not about commenting on that in the moment but that is actually what's happening. You know, it's, 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 it's synergy. It can be synchronicity. It can be serendipity. But every engagement is a moment of creation. Look at all your relationships. I mean, I spoke about this last week, the idea of, you know, the bridges that you build to different areas of your life. But you think of those different domains. Creativity happens in those spaces as well. And so when we think of creativity and limit it to conventionally artistic forms, it, it's, it's massively reductive and it deprives, it deprives the right to be creative uh, to so many people. Like, don't tell me creativity is not part of what teachers do. Um, you know, creativity is everywhere. Um, I mean, you know, you know, farmers, I don't know um you know that's that's creative growing things nurturing things these are creative endeavors so i don't know that's something to think about i mean that feeds into then okay yeah like i can be creative in many areas of my life and that is a positive expression of self and that's what it comes back to so you know banville were you a bad father because you were a writer? Um, are you a good writer because you were a bad father? Or were you a bad father because that's a choice you made um, and you chose not to prioritize other things? And would your art have suffered as a result of that? I don't know. That's the trade-off. That's the, that's the negotiation. That's the, that's the equation. Like everyone has to work out for themselves. Like what do I choose to prioritize? What am I able to do? And I don't know, I think the, the more you feed into the positive things in your life, the more capable you are of uh, expressing yourself well and positively and creatively and functionally and contributing to the lives of others um, and contributing to your own life and your own wellness by expressing what needs to be expressed and what needs to be put out there. So, so there you go. That's what I'm expressing today. Uh, as ever, I don't know if the through line uh, stayed true um, and hit the target, but I, I hope it did. And I hope you got something from that. And I didn't even go. I didn't even go to the other creative places I wanted to go. I didn't even go to Herman Hesse's Gertrude, a wonderful novel about love and creativity and art. I didn't go to the many movies about creativity Ah, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to go there. You can look them up. Look them up. OK, just put in creativity in the movies. Um, 
they're often very again they're very one-dimensional in a way of just looking at the artist's life so in a way not that interesting but whatever that's for you to decide uh i think actually i'll throw one in just because i can't help myself i think bernardo bertolucci's stealing beauty is actually a lovely film set in tuscany and it really is a story of a young woman liv tyler um who just radiates health and beauty and loveliness she must have been only in her early 20s at that stage and she's a young woman trying to find out who her father was and finds herself in this bohemian community of family friends in tuscany uh you know americans and english people overseas living a lovely life uh, a beautiful one of my a beautiful movie performance from the great irish actor donald mccann as a sculptor um Jeremy Irons is in it, uh, Circa Cusack, yeah, Jason Fleming. Uh, really, really lovely movie. And again, yeah, it's, it, it's so, so much of it is about the creativity, the giving of life, the, the, the creation of self, because that's part of the life journey. That, you know, who am I and making decisions? This is actually who I am. That is an act of creation and creativity in itself. Um, and, the creation of art literally features in it a really really nice movie in my opinion i haven't watched it for, for a few years but it's 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 an old favorite of mine so uh you know check that out if you're if you're in the mood for a bit of italian set loveliness um okay i'll leave you with that okay take care of yourselves mind yourselves stay safe be kind to yourselves and yeah look in the description for those links i said i'd throw in i'll throw in the um i'll throw in the the hannah gadsby piece that i wrote on my blog about sort of truth telling i'll put a link to the can projects podcast interview i did last week as well and uh, all the usual stuff i put in there the social media twitter facebook instagram links email um, if you want to throw out some comments, send me some love on social media. Uh, or if you want to throw in a support of an other nature, you can do so at the supporter with the supporter link in the description or the Patreon link also in the description. So there you go. That's it. I'm out. I will talk to you real soon. Take it easy. All the best. Bye bye. Not gonna change.